You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Scripture reading this afternoon is taken from the book of Psalms, Psalm 40. For the director of music of David, a psalm. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you plan for us no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha! Aha! be ashamed at their own be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, The Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. O my God, do not delay. We focus this afternoon on the third petition of the prayer which our Savior taught us. Let us read together Lord's Day 49, summary of Scripture's teaching on this petition. What is the third petition? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without any murmuring obey thy will, for it alone is good. Grant also that everyone may carry out the duties of his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the human will is that part of us which says, this is what I want. It's part of us which is normally associated with our heart, and it is, quite frankly, a very powerful thing. This is the way it goes. If you see something, perhaps in a catalog or in a flyer or in some commercial, and you really, really want, you like and you want what you see, do not be surprised if sooner or later that very thing that you saw in that advertisement ends up in your closet or on your shelf or in your living room. The will has an amazing knack for finding a way to get what it wants. Now, it doesn't always work out this way. There are some times when because of lack of time or lack of funds or perhaps the circumstances are such that you just cannot do, you cannot get what you want. And then we get frustrated because the will is stumped. Now that particular problem that the will cannot find a way to accomplish what it wants to do, that is not a problem that our God ever has. This is clear from Ephesians chapter 1, where in the 11th verse we read, In Him, in Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him, and now listen, Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. So God always works out everything in accordance, in conformity with what He wants. His will. His will is never stumped. And therein lies a great difference between God and us. There is another difference as well. God's will, as we sang from Him for, is perfect in purity. There's not even a hint of an evil desire in God's will. And it goes without saying that our will is quite different than that. In our wants and in our desires, in our cravings and in our longings, there is much that's simply wrong. It's sinful, it's evil. And it's we who have to change. It's our will which has to be bent and changed to match up with God's will. But for that, we will most certainly need God's work in our life. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray about it. Father in heaven, your will be done. And so I may proclaim to you God's word concerning the third petition as follows, praying for an opened and softened heart. We will see that this involves denying our own will, secondly, no murmuring, and finally, following the example of the angels. Now, whenever we start speaking about these two wills, God's will and our will, we immediately run into 
a doctrinal question. A big and important doctrinal question which has a lot of very practical implications. The question is this. Since God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, Ephesians chapter 1, does that mean that in the end, when you boil it all down, we are really nothing more than robots with flesh and skin? Does this mean, as it were, that God sits in His throne in heaven and He has the remote control in His hand and He pushes the buttons and He moves the little joystick so that we, like robots here below, do what we are programmed to do? And this is certainly not a new question, a new problem. In the days of the Reformation, after all, we come close to the remembrance of Reformation Day, even though they had no robots, this was a big question. Normally when we hear about the Reformation of the 16th century, we think it was the debate between salvation by works or salvation by faith alone. And indeed, that was a large part of it. But an equally big part of it was the whole question, if God is sovereign, if He controls everything, does that mean that human beings are nothing more, and then they didn't use the word robots, but they used the word stones. Are we really nothing more than stones? And God moves the stones around on the dirt of this earth as he sees fit. Because if it is true that as human beings we are really nothing more than robots or stones, then we may quickly end up living our life with the spirit of fatalism. What will be, will be. What can you do about it anyways? The implications go deep, brothers and sisters. If we are nothing more than robots and stones, why bother exercising? Why bother eating a healthy diet? If God has ordained that I will live 75 years, doesn't matter if I eat healthy food or eat junk food all the time. God says 75, 75 it will be. And if God has only ordained 35 or 40 years for you, it doesn't matter. You can exercise all you want. You can run every morning. But if God says 35 years, 35 years it is. Kusara sara. Why bother? It also has implications for mission work and evangelism. Because people say, if God has elected this person or that person, and God always works things out, why do we send missionaries to Brazil? Why do we send out Reverend Dong among the Chinese population? Why do we bother talking to our neighbor about the Lord Jesus Christ? If God's elected him, that person will be saved. It also has implications for your own life of obedience to the Lord. People say, why bother? 
trying, praying, striving to obey God's commandments. If God wants me to obey, I'll obey. But if God has a plan that I'll sin, what can I do? This is the spirit of fatalism. And for the record, this is not what the Word of God teaches. But we will come back to that in a moment. Because the other side of the coin is this. Somehow, this whole idea that human beings are really nothing more than robots, it just doesn't sit right. It's not the way life is. Right? We're human beings. We observe, we gather information, we evaluate, we think, we talk to people, we get advice, we have opinions, we have certain desires, certain aspirations, certain things we want to do. We put that all in the mental mixer of our minds and hearts, and then we come to a decision. And then we put that decision into action for better or for worse. That's the way life works, isn't it? You decide whether you want to get that glass of milk out of the fridge or not. And some people now take this same basic approach. It happens today. It happened in the time of the Reformation as well. They take this same approach and they apply it to salvation. They say, look, in and through Jesus Christ, God worked Forgiveness. And there it sits, so to speak, on the counter. But now, you have to do your part too. Just like that glass of milk. You can take it, or you can leave it. That's up to you. This, brothers and sisters, to use the big word, is synergism. That God does his part, we have to do our part, and if we don't do our part, God's will is stumped. What can God do? For the record, the Word of God does not teach synergism either. So now you ask, what then does God's Word teach? And for this, we begin with Psalm 40. In the first place, God's Word teaches that we have hearts, that we have wills. David sings this song as a man after the fall, as a sinful man. This is not Adam in the Garden of Eden. This is David in Israel. And he speaks about his will. He speaks about his heart. And it's not just David here in the psalm. Throughout the scriptures, you read about the human will, the human heart. God never revealed that we're stones or robots. But the problem is this, brothers and sisters, that that will, that heart, which God gave us already through our first parents, Adam and Eve, has now become utterly corrupt. The problem is not that we're robots and that we don't have a will after the fall. 
The problem is that will which God created so good became so utterly evil. Genesis 6 verse 5. Look at how bad it became because of the fall into sin. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart, the will, was only evil all the time. That's how God sees it. Brothers and sisters, whatever you and I may see, whatever you and I may think, this is the way God sees it when He looks from His throne in heaven. The human race filled with rebellious hearts. And let's not think lightly about these hardened, rebellious hearts. It's not a small little problem that can be solved with a little bit of tweaking. The prophet Zechariah declares, they, and he's actually speaking about God's people here, they made their heart as hard as flint. You see, our hearts, because of sin, are not like lead. Lead, you can take a pair of pliers and quite easily you can bend it whichever way you want. It's not the way our hearts are because of sin. They're hard like flint. And a flinty heart is bad enough, but a heart which can't even please God, doesn't want to, but cannot even please God is even worse. But that is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. They don't even have the ability to do it. And added to that, the Lord says in Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. Dead is dead. You see, the synergist says the human will has problems. It's definitely not perfect. The human will has a pretty serious limp. Maybe it's even as if it has a broken leg. But if you give that will some help, you give it a cane, you give it a walker, it will start moving in the right direction. But that's not the way that God speaks, brothers and sisters. A dead man has no use for a cane. A dead man doesn't need a walker because a dead man can't drag his heels. A dead man can't even take one little baby step forward. Dead is dead. What a dead man needs is resurrection to make alive what was dead, to make open what was closed, to make soft what was hard. And this is something that God alone does. God is the one who has the power to take dead and make alive once again. To take flinty, hard hearts and turn them to be soft and pliable 
to his commands. And God does that through the Word. It is remarkable that in Psalm 40, David sings both about his ears and his heart. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, O Lord, but my ears you have pierced. Now you should not think here of piercing of the ears for the sake of putting an earring in or something like that. But this is the kind of piercing of an ear to open it so that it can hear properly. You might think of when a doctor puts tubes in the ears of a young child so that they can hear better again. That's the kind of piercing the Holy Spirit is speaking about here. God pierces our ears, opens our ears so that the Word is heard and then through that He's working in the heart to change our will. It's not that God has to give us a will, but God has to take that rebellious will and turn it into an obedient will. And He does this through the Word. Through the piercing, the opening of the ears. Not like a a zap suddenly out of the blue sky, but through the working of the preaching of the Gospel. Because sometimes when people pray, Lord, Thy will be done, then they're asking themselves, yes, Lord, but what is Thy will? What do You want from me? Brothers and sisters, the will of the Lord is revealed on the pages of Scripture. Not everything about the Lord's will. The Lord already said that through Moses. Deuteronomy 29.29 The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. We are always curious people. There's no denying that. We would love to know the secret things of God. What does He have in store for your future, for our future? Will we live to be 75? Will we live to be 45? We would love to know Who has God chosen? Who has He picked? Has He elected that neighbor who lives across the street from me or not? We would love to know what God has in plan for our futures one year from now, maybe even one month from now. But these are the secret things. They belong to God. They're God's business. What we have to do, brothers and sisters, is focus on our business and the business of our children, which is the revealed will of God. And then to pray that we, to pray that our children would focus on this and would obey genuinely from the heart. Without all kinds of murmuring and complaining, Because there are two ways that you can obey. 
if mom tells Johnny to go clean up outside toys and the bikes and Johnny does it because that's what mom said but all the way down the hall to the back door he's mumbling grumbling under his breath well he's obeying but he's also murmuring he does it but he really doesn't want to do it the hands and the feet are moving but the will is somewhere else And whether we are younger or older, when it comes to the commands of God, we all do our fair share of murmuring. The Lord calls us to keep the Lord's day holy. There are some days, some Sundays you get up and you really don't feel like it. You're tired of other things you might like to do. And maybe you still come And you worship and you keep the Lord's day holy, but inside you're murmuring. The Lord says, do not covet. But sometimes you really want to covet. That's the fact of the matter. And you pray and, and, and you do your best to hold yourself back from coveting, but you do it with a murmuring heart. Because if you were perfectly honest, you'd say, I want to covet. How do we obey without all of this murmuring and complaining which happens mostly in our heart? By focusing, brothers and sisters, on who gives us these commands. To give you an example, imagine that You are in high school. Some of you don't have to imagine that because you are in high school. And you are taking a math course, be that math 9 or 10 or something like that, and part of that course is algebra. Now you happen to be a person who doesn't like algebra. You don't get it. Why all these letters mixed up with numbers? And every time that the teacher gives an algebra assignment... You do it with a heavy heart, murmuring. Why do I have to do this stuff? But now, let's add something. What if the math teacher who gives the assignment really goes out of his or her way to help you with something that you find difficult and distasteful? In the class... That teacher is going out of his way to help you. And let us take it even a step farther. Let us say that that math teacher goes way beyond and above the call of duty and in order to help you, comes to your home on Saturdays just to help you. Now, this is not what we need to expect from our teachers. This is not what they are required to do. Teachers have families as well and other obligations. But the point is this. If someone goes so far above and beyond the call of duty just to help you, and then 
the next Monday or Tuesday, that same person gives you another algebra assignment. Would it not be the height of ingratitude? Would it not, at a certain point, simply become rude? If when that assignment is given, you're mumbling and grumbling under your breath, considering who did so much for you. Now, take that and apply it to Psalm 40, which begins in the pit, in the mud and in the mire. Brothers and sisters, who is it that's lifted you out of the pit of eternal condemnation? Who is the one who of His grace, of His mercy, He was not required to do it, has lifted you out of the mud of misery, out of the mire of eternal sadness? Who is the one, further, who took these very words in His mouth and said, Here I am. I've come. It's written about me on the roll. And on the scroll, I desire to do your will, O God. The one who took those words on his mouth, Hebrews chapter 10, is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Every command he obeyed perfectly for you. Was God, was Jesus Christ required to do this? This comes out of his grace. It's way above and beyond the call of duty, so to speak. It's simply from his own heart and desire. And now he gives you those commands. First command, fourth command, tenth command, doesn't matter. And is it not the height of ingratitude? At a certain point, does it not simply become rude? If we say, yes, Lord, I know what you want me to do and I will do it, but I really don't want to. Remember, who is the one who lifted you from the pit? And so, instead of mumbling under our breaths or murmuring in our hearts, let us simply, promptly, cheerfully do what God requires us to do. Like the angels in heaven, when Jesus teaches the third petition, he includes this extra phrase, Father in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, that little word as makes a comparison. The comparison is between earth and we who live on this earth and heaven up above, the below above comparison, which is not a comparison that we often make, really. We love making comparisons, but we make all of our comparisons on earth. A child makes a comparison with his brothers and sisters, as the Lord has blessed that family. And if, if one brother notices that dad or mom is treating another brother or sister a little bit differently, well, you can be sure parents will hear about it. The comparison is being made on earth between siblings. And this is certainly not something that only children do. Parents, let's be honest, 
are regularly comparing their children, what they do, how they act, how they are achieving, how they are doing in school, with the children of other families. Always comparing and contrasting. We compare our jobs with the jobs of other people. We compare our cars the cars of other people. We compare our vacations with the vacations of other people. We compare our vocations with the vocations of other people, the houses with other people's houses. All these comparisons we're doing all the time. All of them are on earth comparisons. For whatever all reasons, we feel this strong impulse, this strong desire to keep up With the Joneses. Jesus teaches us in the third petition to pray to God that we might lift up our eyes. Not make all these comparisons down here on earth, but that our eyes, our hearts, and our minds might be lifted to make a comparison between the angels and us. You know, when the Lord says to Gabriel, Gabriel, my servant, go. Go and do this. Gabriel goes. He doesn't drag his heels. He doesn't mutter under his breath. He doesn't murmur in his heart. Gabriel just goes. And he's glad to do it. Brothers and sisters, pray that our actions, but even more importantly, that our attitudes might be more and more like Gabriel. The point is not to keep up with the Joneses, but to keep up with the Gabriels. That's what we're praying for. And pray, we certainly have to do. For the contrast between the attitude of the angels and our attitudes is so great that there's not a day on which we do not have to pray the third petition. Father in heaven, thy will be done on earth by us as it is in heaven by Gabriel, Michael, and the angelic hosts. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.